0: Well, as everyone has already said that's come up here, it is so good to be back together, uh, to to look at one another's faces and and to have people in the room this morning. Uh, I'm just excited that we have the the opportunity to move forward in this uh, new season right here on campus. Our kids ministry is open. There are kids all over the place out back having a great time with Allie. And the team. And I just gotta say that this is a very different experience than the past couple of, of weeks. Um, I'm sure for you, for me as well. What happens when there's nobody else in this room is that our media team likes to get things just right with the lighting. And so it is pitch black in here. And the only thing that I can see in this room, look, turn around, see that red light in the back? I can only see that red light. That's their way of saying, look right here and don't look anywhere else. So this is a much more comfortable experience this morning with you guys in here, and I'm I'm just happy that, that we're all back. And of course, I'm grateful that we live in an era where those of us that need to stay online a little bit longer can continue to stay connected and gather with us right here online. My grandmother's watching online this morning. There is someone there to help her with the technology for the first time in a long time. So hi, Meemaw. I love you. I'm glad that you're able to gather with us as well. And I'm glad that all of us are able to gather and worship, whether we're right here or online. Here's my encouragement for us this morning. No matter where we're at or how we're gathered, let's keep loving one another well. Let's keep encouraging one another, coming alongside, supporting, blessing, meeting the needs of one another. And let's keep walking with Jesus together. Right? Let's stay connected. Let's move forward however it is we're gathering. And if you've got a Bible, I want to encourage you to open up to James chapter 2. We're going to be looking at uh, James chapter 2 as we continue our series in the book of James. And, and as you're opening up, I've got that James scripture journal we passed out. We've got some of those uh, for our guests. If you'd like one, you'll get details on that when you leave. Uh, I want to pray over our time in God's word together. So would you join me for a moment of prayer? Heavenly Father, we love you so, so much. And God, we are incredibly thankful for the opportunity to gather together. However it is, God, we're thankful that we can be together, connected by your word. God, I pray that we would do what what your word says, God, what we looked at last week. Lord, I pray this morning we would receive your word humbly. God, knowing that that you have truth in here for us. And then, God, I pray for every single one of us that we would leave here this morning or turn our computers off this morning if we're at home, God, and that we would live out the truth of your word faithfully. God, speak to our hearts now as we study. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, Chelsea and I uh, had the opportunity to meet in another family's backyard. and It was a great time. Uh, The kids really enjoyed it. They got to see other kids. They got to run around. They got to laugh. They got to connect. They got to engage. They got to play. It was good for every single person that had the opportunity to gather in that backyard that day. And at one point, uh, the moms left. Chelsea and all the other wives took off. They had to go run an errand. And so in that moment... The dads were in charge. So it's a couple of dads and a handful of kids in the backyard. And as soon as the moms were around the corner and out of sight, and we knew the coast was clear, the water balloons came out, right? And if you haven't been around kids in a while, or you don't have kids, let me introduce you to something amazing. This is 420 water balloons, and I can fill this up in five minutes, right? For if you're still doing it the old-fashioned way, let me introduce you to a much, much, much better way to do this. And so that's what we did. And we filled up hundreds of water balloons for those kids, and we began to play, and we began to throw the balloons at one another, and we had all kinds of things that were going on. We were playing games, we were throwing them short, close, whatever, and everybody was loving it, right? If you haven't been around kids with water balloons, let me just let you know, if you show up with this, and there's kids there, you are the man. Right? They don't want anything but you, right? Because they're so excited to play with these balloons, and that's what's going on. And so, one moment, we're having fun, and I turn to go into the cooler to get my next water balloon to throw at some kid that's running across the yard. And when I turn around, there's no one there to throw at. The kids were all gone. I was like, what what has just happened? Right? I was completely alone. I was deserted. I felt abandoned. I, I felt like I was by myself. Things were going so well. And then all of a sudden, I was utterly and completely alone. And as I looked around to figure out, how did this happen? I've I've got water balloons. Where are the kids. They're supposed to be right here with me. I I looked up, and Chelsea was back. And the other moms were back. And no, no, no. You see, you're thinking that they were scared that they were going to be in trouble. That's not what happened, right? They came back with something better. Than what I had. I've got a picture of how Chelsea walked into the backyard that afternoon. She didn't know I was going to share this. Sorry, Chelsea. Uh, But 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 she walked into the backyard with more blizzards than I have ever seen in one place at one time, and when she walked in, man, the, the kids didn't, wa- they didn't want me anymore, right? They, they, they said, hey, forget the balloons. She's got something better. We're going over to her, and a lot of you are laughing, and you're thinking, listen, I would pick Chelsea over you any day, blizzards or no blizzards. That's probably smart, um, and some of you are saying I would pick the balloon, or the Dairy Queen over the balloons and, and all of that, but, but here's the deal, right? She walked back in, and in that moment, the kids didn't want what I had anymore, they wanted what, what she had now, right? I, I didn't have enough to offer, and so they made a choice to move from us, from, from the dads, over to the moms, right? Someone came around with more to offer, and, it, and it's funny, and it's sort of a, a kid thing, but, but the question for us this morning is this, right? As, as we get a little bit older, as maybe we get a little bit more mature, and we're students, or we're teenagers, we're college students, we're adults, are there ever moments where we find ourselves still treating people like that. I mean, think about that. Do do we treat people based on what they can do for us or on what they can give us or on what they have to offer us? Or or as followers of Christ, do do we connect with people and treat people well because we, we love them like God loves them? And as we open up James chapter 2, what we're going to see that God's word is clear. How you and I treat people is a direct reflection of our love relationship with Jesus. If you've got your Bible open at James chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1, and we're just going to read verse 1 for now, and and then we'll expand on it. But I I want you to see this here in verse 1 of James chapter 2. God's word says this. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus of glory. If you're taking notes, our first point from God's word this morning is this. It's this following Jesus changes the way that we see people following Jesus changes the way we see people. I want to discuss what's going on here because verse 1 really frames the entire passage. Everything else that we're going to see in verses 1 through 13 are summed up in this one verse, right? That This verse is it. That is the point for the passage and all the verses that we're going to read after this are supporting and holding up the concept that James is introducing in verse 1. So it's important that we make sure that, that we Understand it. Look back at the verse, the, the first two words in the phrase there. God's word says, my brothers. That's a transitional phrase, and he uses that all throughout the book of James to do a couple of things. He wants to transition or introduce a new topic. He's saying, hey, listen, brothers, this. Hey, listen, brothers, that. And, and it, it's his way to move from one train of thought, one flow in the text, to another, but he could use anything there. He could use "and next." and next, and so on. He doesn't. He uses brothers. Think about why. There's a deeper meaning. right? He's trying to remind them of the relationship they have together. He's not writing this to a random group of people. He's writing this to brothers, to sisters in Christ, to, to people that are also children of God. It's his reminder saying, how, now listen, you guys are Christ followers. Listen, you guys are in the family of God. Because of that, let me tell you something, right? So, so there's that, that reminder there, and I would say this morning this, no matter where we're at in the room online, if we are followers of Jesus, we are also his brothers and sisters in Christ. So we've got to understand and know that this is, for us, when we read my brothers, I could read, hey, listen, Stephen, pay attention here, and all of us could do that exact same thing, right? So let's keep on going. He says, my brothers, and then he gives the command. He says, show no partiality. And that word partiality in the Greek is an interesting word. And what's happened is he has sort of cut and pasted some different words together to form one super word right there. And essentially what it means is this, right? Here's the literal translation or definition. It means to accept, that's a good thing, or to judge, that's a bad thing. So, so know that, that both of those are included in this word. To accept or to judge according to the face, right? Or according to how something or someone looks, partiality, accepting or judging based on what you see on the outside, external factors. Have you ever heard the phrase, don't judge a book by its cover? Probably, right? A lot of us have. That's what this is, right? Don't judge a book by its cover. And, and, And probably at some point, all of us have done that, and, and it doesn't always work out the way that we would hope. A couple of years ago, I was with a team down in Mexico, and we were walking through this different area, this little market, uh, marketplace, letting some of the, the students that were in our group buy some souvenirs. And, and I walked past this place, and this guy sort of called me over, and he's trying to sell me this watch. And I'm like, okay, I, I know what I'm getting into here. I, I sort of know about this. This isn't real. You know, I, I don't need to do this. I just need to walk away. But he showed it to me, and guess what? It looked really nice. Right, it, it looked good. And so we talked for a minute, and I was like, this guy seems very passionate about selling this or making some money off of me. And so I'm going to help him out. The watch looks great. It works. It's fine. I'm going to buy it. And so I bought it, and I put it on. You could tell I'm not wearing it this morning, right? Um, I, I put it on, walked down the street, and I looked at it again. And I don't know how it happened or how he held it together for while we were in that, that little shop talking to one another. But when I looked at it as I was walking down the street, it was like the hands were not connected to the face anymore. They were floating around inside the watch. I looked at it, and it looked fine. I judged it by the cover. I didn't consider the inside workings of the watch, and and I paid the price for it. It wasn't good. James is saying, my brothers, believers. He's saying church family. In the first century, he's saying church family that makes up Champion Forest, North Klein. Believers, don't make up your minds about people. Don't make decisions about people. Don't treat people based on, on how they look. Don't play favorites. That's not our job. Keep going in verse 1. He says, my brothers, church family, don't do this. And the next phrase is pivotal here. He says, as you hold the faith. And so we see right away in verse 1, remember, this is the framework. Everything else supports this. We see right away that a faithful believer Someone that is walking with Jesus, someone that knows Christ, that's walking with Christ, that's in a relationship with Christ, will not judge people based on their outward appearance. We see in James chapter 2 right here that faith and favoritism are completely incompatible. They do not work together. They do not fit together. The question is why. He answers it as we keep reading, right? It's because we shouldn't be giving people glory. If you look back at at verse 1, church family, don't accept or judge based on external factors. Hold fast to Jesus. And then there's this really vivid descriptor of Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. It's a reminder for us that that any glory that we're going to give or ascribe or, or put on anyone or anything else is only reserved for Jesus. Right, that the imagery here is Jesus that's exalted, it's Jesus that's in heaven, it's Jesus in his glory as the only one who deserves glory. And so it's important for us to to think this through, because because that notion right there of Jesus alone getting the glory is completely different than the way that our world works, right? Think about our world. Sometimes, you might think, oftentimes, our world picks winners and losers, Our world picks people who are going to get honor and people who are not going to get honor. And a lot of times, just like we're going to see in this text in just a second, the rich, the famous, the influential are are elevated above everyone else. It it might sometimes seem like they have different rules, that they have a different playing field. You may have even recently expressed frustration about how this is right at one point or another. And and the reality is that, that we can see this kind of thing playing out in almost every area of life. That's how it was when James wrote this in the first century to the first century church, and oftentimes that's how it is today as well. And so for us, this is a warning, and this is a reminder that if we aren't careful, if we aren't careful to think and to treat people the way that God has called us to treat people, we could be guilty of doing things the exact same way as the culture or the world around us. And as we continue to read, starting in verse 2, we're going to see something. James gets very, very specific here because he understands that the temptation to to ignore the water balloons and to flock to the Dairy Queen is something that's very easy for all of us to begin to slip into. And so he tells a story, and it's a story about a church family to reinforce this command of not playing favorites. And that brings us to our second point. It says, the following Jesus changes The way we see people, right, that's everything. That's the framing of the passage. Following Jesus changes the way we see people. So application one, don't elevate some people over other people. Look at verse two. It says, if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, hey, you come here and sit in a good place. The front row is open for you. Or you say to the poor man, hey, you stand over there. Or even something like, you go and sit down at my feet. Verse 4 says, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Right, it's easy to see what's going on here in this story. It's only three, three verses. That assembly more than likely was a, a family, church family worship gathering just like this, right? They would gather together for times of worship. And it wasn't uncommon even in that day in the first century, for new people to come in as well, right? New people would come into the gathering. In fact, if new people are coming in to the church family gathering, it means that those that are worshiping, that the church family is doing things the right way. It means that they're loving their neighbors. It means that they're sharing the gospel. It means that they're inviting other people in. That's a good thing for them to do. And, And by the way, it's a good thing for us to do as well. Let's make sure that we're doing that as a church family, right? Loving our community, sharing the hope of Jesus with the world around us, so other people will come in and be added to the family of God, right? That's what's happened in James 2. People come in, they're gathered for worship, and I want you to think through it. Right, Many of you have been here for a long time. You're not new. So I just want you to imagine what it would be like to come in off the street brand new right into this building or into any gathering or setting like this. More than likely, when two people would come to our church family, somebody would be in the parking lot. I saw Brian out there this morning getting things ready to roll. They'd be welcomed. They'd be shown a great spot to come in. Our hospitality team would welcome them at the door. They wouldn't get a hug or a handshake now. They would get some kind of little You know, non-contact, we're glad that you're here, welcome in. Pretty soon our brew crew would give them coffee, our ushers would give them a seat anywhere they wanted here in the worship center, and and that's the plan, right? Everyone's welcome, everyone is loved. As they come in here, they begin to get to know people, they begin to get connected, and I think that our church family and that our team over hospitality does an incredible job with that. But in these verses, that's not what happened, right? That they weren't treated, the two people that came in, the exact same Way, look back at your verse, verses two through four. We've got a a man that's dressed nice, wearing gold. And we've got a man that's not dressed nice, that the imagery of those clothes are are dirty and sort of holy uh, clothes. Uh, And and so a man that that doesn't have any jewelry with that. Essentially, a rich man and a poor man. They both walked in and they were treated different. Hopefully that's not the case here. We can't let that be the case here. But think about the rest of our world. Right, a rich man and a poor man, rich person and a poor person walk in to different settings in our culture. Think about how they might be treated. When I think back to my time at a and uh, There's one thing that jumps out, and I'm glad that, that something jumps out, that I remembered something from my time at a and but I remember in this one marketing class, we read a story, and this has always stuck with me. That there was this guy, right, the same person, they dressed him up differently, and he kept going back and forth to these car dealerships. They dressed him really nice, and they dressed him not very nice and every time he was dressed nice they put a really expensive fancy watch on him and reading that study it was just really interesting to see the way that people's minds and our culture work every time he was dressed nice and he went into to these car dealerships oh it didn't matter which one over and over he, he was treated like a king He was given special treatments, he was taken to a special place, he was given special attention by all the people that were there. But when the same guy would go back to the same places dressed different or looking a little bit different, it's not that he got bad treatment, it's just that he got no treatment. He was completely ignored as he walked in. And that's always stuck with me. And it jumped into my mind as I read this text this week, and I began to think about other scenarios or or avenues where that might play itself out in our world and in our culture today. And and I think the same could be true if you go into a nice restaurant, if you go into a jewelry store, if you go into any other kind of store. People are treated just a little bit differently. And I want you to think about why. I think we all know why. right? It's because those that, that are giving the special treatment to the people that appear rich are what? They're expecting something. They're anticipating something in return. They think that they're going to get something out of one person and not get anything from someone else. It's, it's a very unfortunate thing about the way a sinful world works, and I want you to think about this. That kind of treatment, that kind of behavior, one person to another is not loving. It's transactional, and it's not the way that the church family should work. Look back in your Bible. Look in Scripture, verses 2 through 4. That God's Word point blank says that giving one person a great seat based on external factors and giving one person a bad seat or, or asking them to sit down at their feet is sin. It's wrong, it's sin, there's no other way to think about that. When we see this, God's word says in verse four that that we are elevating ourselves to the position of judges and we certainly know that that's not our role. Listen, these three verses, it's a very short example. It's a very short story that is buried in this letter that's written to a church family, but it is a very needed story that's written to the church then. It's a very needed story written to the church family today, right? That the temptation is always there for people to treat one another, to treat new people, to treat anybody we meet based on external factors, based on something that someone might have to offer us, or even based on things as simple as how someone else might make us feel and God's word tells us that, that that's a completely wrong way to treat other people. Remember that the framework of the passage following Jesus changes the way that we treat people. It changes the way that we see people. It changes the way that we love people. And and this example here, it goes so much further than just rich or poor or the haves or the have-nots. That word in verse 1, partiality, remember what it means, right? It means to accept it's a good thing or to judge, that's a bad thing based on The face, right, based on face value, based on external factors. I want you to think about our world for a minute and all of the different ways that happens, right? Just to to know and realize this isn't just a rich or poor thing. People make judgments based on that. They make judgments on on external factors like language, like background, like race. They make external factors or or decisions based on on style, the way someone dresses or doesn't dress, the way that they look. People right now are, are making these snap judgments about one another and treating people differently based on how they're navigating the whole COVID situation, based on the decisions with their kids in school, or not on school, or home school, or online school, or, or whatever else. Listen, right? our world right now, our culture has gotten so incredibly superficial, and, and too often people are categorized, accepted, or judged based on things like that. The reason that this text is in here, James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, the, the reason is here is because if we're not careful, even as followers of Jesus, we, we could slip into this rhythm of seeing people the way the world sees people, as this or that or richer or poorer, any other number of things that I did not just Mentioned, but God's Word is clear. Go all the way back to the Old Testament and see that's not how God has called me or you or our church family to act. In Deuteronomy 10 17 the Bible says God is not partial right? It, we, we pull that all the way forward to James chapter 2. My brothers don't show partiality. God's not partial, so as the children of God, we also should not be partial. In 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 7, a famous verse in the Bible, you probably know it, or you can finish the sentence for me. It says, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the, at the heart. God doesn't see things the way that that we see things. It's easy for us to see with non-spiritual eyes, okay, they look like me, I could connect with them. Simple things like that, right? That's not the way that God looks at things. God looks at the heart. And when you and I begin to look at the heart, I want you to think about this with me for a moment. This concept came into my mind this week and and I'm still wrestling with this thought. I just want to bring you into my brain for a second, right? When we look at someone's heart, think for a second about what it is you can see. What can you discover when you look at someone's heart? I'm giving you a second to think about it. It's sort of a big question, right? What can you discover when you look at someone's heart? We could probably say a lot of things, and we could probably drill down on some specific areas, but, but I think when you look at someone's heart, you're going to see one of two things. That's it. Everything else is going to fall under that. Well, when you look deep in someone's heart and you have that connection with them, you're going to see that either one, they're a follower of Jesus, right, that they are saved, they're in a relationship with Christ, right, that's one. Or two, you're going to see that they're not a follower of Jesus. The two conditions of the heart. And the interesting thing for us is that the commands that, that we have in Scripture don't change based on what we see in the heart. No matter what we see in their heart, we know that our command is to love them, and the most loving thing that we can do for anybody we ever meet is to help them grow closer to Jesus, So, if we're looking in someone's heart and we say, man, they don't know Jesus, the most loving thing that I can do for them is to help them come to know Jesus, to share the truth of God's word with them, to point them to Christ. And if they do know Jesus, the most loving thing that I can do for them is to encourage them to keep going, right? To to step into their life and to be a blessing to them, to help them grow in their love relationship with Jesus, right? God doesn't look at things the way the world does. God looks at the heart. And when we look at the heart, we're reminded over and over and over again that that our job, no matter what we see in that heart, is to help people know and love and follow and experience life in a relationship with Christ. So for us, let's not judge based on external factors. Let's not pick. Let's not choose. Let's not play favorites. Let's think back to the main point of the passage in verse 1, understanding that following Jesus changes the way we see people. Look at verse 5. It says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in the faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you referencing the story, right, that when they picked and chose, when people came in, says, but you've dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name By which you were called that. Listen again, this is all argument and support for verse one, right? Of why we shouldn't play favorites. He makes a theological argument pointing back to verse one. He says, when you read through God's word and you start with scripture in the Old Testament and work it forward, you will see over and over and over again that God has a special heart for the poor. That God has a special heart for those that are down and out, for those that are marginalized, for those who have been cast aside by everyone else. God says, they are mine. I'm going to love them, and I'm going to take care of them. In fact, in Luke chapter 6, verse 20, Jesus said, blessed are the poor, right? So for anyone to treat someone bad or to turn them away based on what they think that they have to offer goes directly against the heart of Jesus. Jesus loves. He invests. He cares for those in need, and he tells us to do the same, right? The theological argument. And also in verses 6 and 7, we see James giving a very practical argument to walk out the truth of Scripture that fit the context of the day they lived in. Essentially, James is saying, listen, like you're, you're elevating the rich person, but think about What a lot of the rich people in your culture and society in Israel in the first century have done to you, right? Many of your problems are caused by the people that you're trying to impress right now. We see examples all throughout the Old Testament, Amos, Habakkuk, Malachi, where the wealthy would use the courts and the things at their disposal to take from the poor in the area. In fact, in AD 66, there was a four-year war in that part of Israel based on behavior just like that James is saying, for all sorts of reasons, knowing Jesus should change the way that we see and interact with one another, so do not elevate some people to a higher place than everyone else, right? That's the way the world does it. The world system honors and respects and it treats people well, the people that can benefit them the most. As we think about it, let's just take a second in the the middle of our text to examine our hearts and our relationships, and just ask ourselves, is that how we treat people? Do we treat people based on, on what they can give us, or do we treat people based on how God has loved us and now called us to love them? Right, when someone walks in to this building, with our church family, when someone walks into your life group, when someone moves in next door, when, when someone gets, gets hired at your, your job and is in your office, when you sit down that first or second day of school and there's some people in your class, first part of college, your, your roommate, your dorm, what, what, whatever. The question is, what do we do? Right? How do we respond and how do we treat people? Do we greet them and love them and welcome them and show them hospitality and connect with them no matter what because God's called us to and because God loves us? Or do we sit back for a second and wait and we see them come in and we begin to do this mental evaluation? Okay, if they're about my age, I could connect with them. I'm going to go talk to them. They dress like me. You know, I'm, I'm going to go talk to them. Or do we think, oh, they're, they're too young. I could never connect with them. They're too old. I can never connect with them. They don't dress like me. I, you know, why would, they, why would anybody wear that? I'm not going to go and talk to them. Or they don't look like they're where I'm from or, or, or whatever else. Or they walk in and they're wearing a Longhorn shirt and you're an Aggie. And you say, you know what? God, I'm willing to do a lot of things but not <laughs> that. Right? Because that's what we do a lot of times. It's just easy to see with our eyes and not with our heart. And to make that snap Judgment when we see people. God's word here is so clear, right? Don't elevate. Don't elevate some people at the expense of other people, right? He shifts it here. Rather, as followers of Jesus, why don't we just elevate everyone, right? Let's elevate everyone because of Jesus. Following Jesus changes the way we see people, point one. The two application points, Don't elevate some at the expense of others. Rather, let's elevate everyone because of the way that Jesus has treated us, right? It's not about us. It's about us loving people the way that God has loved us. Look at how James wraps up this section. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you'll love your neighbor as yourself, and you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin, and you're convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become guilty in all of it. For he who said don't commit adultery also said don't murder. If you do not commit adultery but you too murder, you become a transgressor of the law. Look at verse 12. This is key here. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Look back at verse 12 again. That the, the command here is the key as we wrap up. I want you to notice that the, the Greek tense of the verb, speak and act, in verse 12, uh, indicate continuous action, right? That's our command. This is a continual thing. This is not one time when a rich man and a poor man walk into your church. Speak and act lovingly then. It, it is all of life, all of the time. Here's the paraphrase to hopefully help us cap, catch the meaning. He's saying, keep speaking, and keep acting as people who know Jesus, right? Wherever you're at, don't don't stop, don't change it up, don't act one way when you're gathered with your church family and one way when you're someone else. This verse, verse 12, says, continue to act all the time as a Jesus follower, as someone who's not judged by the law, but as someone who has freedom, who has liberty because of the way that God has loved us in all of our interactions, everywhere that we go, with every single person that we meet, if we would remember the love that Jesus has shown us, if we would remember that it was completely undeserved, that it was completely unearned, that we brought nothing to the table when God expressed and showed his love for us, when we remember that, we're going to show that same love to the world around us. Speak and act and live like we know Jesus. When we encounter someone that, that we may consider poor, God's Word tells us to speak and act and live and love like we know Jesus. When we encounter someone that, that we might consider rich or different or a different language or that they, they're different race or different decisions or different politics or different whatever, the command is the same. Speak, act, live, and love like we are people who know Jesus. And it's continuous. Keep on doing it. Don't check the box on this. This is an ongoing, all-the-time way that we are called to live as followers of Christ. Verse 8, he brings back in that that reminder to love our neighbors as ourselves, just like Jesus said in Matthew 22, if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and if you love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus says everything else will fall into place. The the rest will take care of itself and partiality won't even be a thing in our hearts because we're going to love like Christ. Romans chapter 13, verse 8, I love but it says, oh, no one anything except to love one another. When we read this passage, right, in any and all passages throughout God's word, we see that faith always expresses itself through love. So as a church family, let's make sure that, that that's us. Let's make sure that, that we're loving people, people that we know and people that, that we don't know. People that have walked in the, the doors of this building a hundred times before, and people who are making their very first appearance in the middle of our church family. Right, This passage is so simple. James 2, 1, 1 through 13, it's straightforward. There's no crazy explanation or analysis needed to make sure that we get it, but it is a very needed message because this, what we read right here in God's word, is so very different from the ways of this world. Right, so when we meet people and talk to people, let's make sure that it's not about the water balloons, that it's not about, about the Dairy Queen, that it's not about what they have to offer us. Let's simply meet people and love people the way that Jesus would. Right? Following Jesus changes the way that we see people. So don't elevate some up here and keep others down there. Rather, let's elevate everybody up here and treat everybody the same, loving them the way that Jesus loves us. It's a great reminder for us in life it's a great reminder when our church family gathers in this room it's a great reminder when our life groups meet together all right let's make sure that we're welcoming and loving to all and let's also live this out when we leave here to every person we meet and we can start by introducing the people that we meet to Jesus would you pray with me I'm going to take a moment with our heads bowed, our eyes closed to, to think to think about what God's word has to say for us, right? And to think about how we treat people. And as we walk through this, you might have found yourself in this place where you're sort of wrestling a little bit and you're thinking, oh man, you know, sometimes I do that. Or sometimes I treat people based on whether they're like me or not or what they have to offer or don't offer, or, you know, any other number of reasons. Let me just encourage you. right? If, if you're feeling like that this morning, to take a second and say, hey God, you know what? I, I understand your word this morning. I understand that's not how you've called me as a follower of Jesus to act and to treat other people. God, help me to love people the way that you have loved me. God, help me to be warm. Help me to be welcoming. Help me to be loving to all, knowing the most loving thing that I can do for anyone I meet is to introduce them to a saving relationship with Christ. And this morning, you might be at a place, too, where you've just heard for the first time how much God loves you. He loves you so much that, that he was willing to give up his son Jesus for you. He loves you so much that he has called every single person that's a follower of Jesus to love you the way that he loves you. And this morning you're thinking, you know what? If that's how this family is going to act, if that's how this family is called to be, I want to be a part of it. You might be thinking this morning that and if that's you, I want to encourage you to place your faith and trust in Christ. To become a part of the family of God. If you're watching online this morning and that's you and you know, you know what, Man, it's time for me to trust in Jesus. You can text your name to the number that's on the screen and we will call you and walk with you through God's word and show you what it means to trust him and to be a part of the family of God. Or maybe you're in here the first time and you're hearing about Jesus and you want to be a part of this church. You want to be baptized. You want to trust in Jesus alone for salvation. Right when we're done after this last worship song, we're going to have people over here by our baptistry. They just want to talk with you. Right, so feel free to, to join us up front and to say, hey, you know what? This is what God's doing in my heart this morning. We would love to walk through that with you. Let's make sure that as followers of Jesus, we see people the way Jesus sees people. Let's love the way that Jesus loves. Let's be a family that follows the model of God's word. God, we love you. and We trust you. We thank you for your word. And God, I pray that, that you would work on my heart, that you would work on the hearts of everyone in this room and thinking about this passage this morning, God, help us to do what you've called us to do, to receive your word humbly and to live it out faithfully. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we worship together?